there are things that you just cannot do or are certainly much less effective than they are in in-person cycles. At the end of the day, we are still human beings and we are influenced by other humans and human behavior. And so we graft to that. Uh, and so I think that you know, we can never lose sight of that actual element. Welcome to Audible Insights, brought to you by the Insights Association and hosted by David Paul, founder of Dialsmith and Lillian Labs. Hi, everyone. This is David Paul. And on this episode of the Audible Insights podcast, I'm talking with Brett Watkins, president of L&E Research. So did you found L&E? Are you the original founder? No, L&E actually dates back to 1984. The L&E stands for Lynn and Ed Eggers, who were uh, facility owners here in Raleigh. And when I acquired them in 2004, it was basically referenced around like where you do, where the future starts, right? So at that time, they had a very good brand reputation in Raleigh. Um, I was, had only been in the industry, actually more of a you know, full service setting, doing uh, contracting with B2B and uh, federal government agencies. And, mm-hmm. but I had some, I had some ideas and visions as to what I wanted to do in the qualitative industry and, and putting technology and automation behind it. l just began and started in that direction. And then interestingly, the story was, was that I had a vision that we were going to create this technology platform that other facilities could use. And right around that time was when the 2007-2008 recession kicked in. So uh, the question was like, okay, what do we do now? Conclusion I had was, okay, we can begin to apply this towards scalable business growth within other locations uh, throughout the United States. So that's progressed from the single location that Eleni was in Raleigh in uh, 2004 to uh, to the 12 locations that it had grown to into, tw- into early 2020 and uh, now down to eight as a result of some scale back from uh, COVID-related outcomes. So you've been through with l and you, you've been through a number of major market challenges, 2009 period, and now, uh, you know, what's happened in the last year. So are there parallels? Like, how, how do you compare those two experiences of, of what happened almost a decade ago and then what you went through last year? Yeah, well, you know, in 2007 and eight, market research has been a relatively stable industry. You've, you know, you've seen a few percentage growth points, you know, over an overall market. Uh, more, maybe it's flat. So, you know, the, the focus has always been, you know, whether you can increase market share or whether you can improve, you know, actual performance, right? Service business is not complicated. You know, you, you become more efficient or you grow share or you add a new service and solution like, um, you know, our size at the time in 2007 and eight is such where a business advisor of mine, a good mentor, you know, he talked to me about it. He said, you know, Brad, as you grow your business, you're going to be more tied to the general economy. Uh, and back in 07 and 08, we were, so, we were small enough to where, you know, we felt a little bit of a pinch, but um, you know, there really wasn't an appreciable drop. And it certainly wasn't something uh, that we had to uh, um, you know, really make big adjustments to. Uh, in fact, I think that, you know, coupled with other things that we had already begun in development with our technology platforms that run our business, we really were well positioned to take advantage of those opportunities. COVID was really different in the fact that beyond, obviously, uh, the broader economic impact of your, of course, you know, a much larger business than we were, uh, you know, 11, 12 years prior from the last recession, which is just basically the impact to in person. It's interesting, you know, the, uh, the dichotomy between a lot of the industry where they have seen tremendous growth uh, this past year uh, as a result of the shifts away from you know, certain methodologies and certainly one of ours that, you know, we were very reliant upon uh, was in-person research. Uh, it was just absolutely decimated. So 
um, you know, very different in the context of both economy as well as uh, in our size and scope, as well as just simply, um, you know, how the pandemic was just so targeted, really, um, that just had that direct impact on us. As a leader, a lot of times I don't have the benefit of actually talking with the owner of a company. I talk with senior people, but ultimately they're they're still enacting the will of uh, you know of ownership. So I, I want to take advantage of the fact that I've got you here, and uh, really aside from market research, in-person research, focus group facilities, just as a leader who found themselves in an immediate crisis last year, starting in March. How did you approach that? And how did the following couple of months unfold? And and as a leader, how did you kind of come to terms with what had to be done and and make some of those tough decisions to be able to, you know, be still around today and, and um, imagining planning for a brighter future? Yeah, no, great question. It was interesting. Right when the pandemic let up, we were just in the process of uh, making another acquisition expansion for our business. Um, and suddenly now, you know, you find yourself uh, faced with, um, you know, for our industry, for our business, really, you know, this huge crisis. The whole entire industry really shut down. Um, there weren't any answers. Um, I will share that it was, from a business standpoint, um, you know, the biggest gut check uh, I've ever had. You know, you, you fashion yourself, you know, leadership, and you feel like you, you know, one of your jobs. Um, you know, I always, I always kind of equate leadership to the captain of a ship because there's so many parallels between, you know, the crew's belief in your ability to get to shore, but you know, your captain's belief to be able to plan that to. You know, to know the strategy to get there. Uh, how can I give my crew the team tools and resources to make that happen, and that we get to we get to there safely? And um, for the first time, really, in the last you know 15 years, I didn't feel like suddenly uh, you know the glass was very uh, was very dirty and uh, frosted, and I couldn't see through it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of uh, work there that I think that was really you know it was a fundamental gut check. Um, Really, I think the big things that I relied upon uh, were, you know, first of all, you really begin to make sure that uh, you look back on your industry connections and those that you are in business and rely on those, Um, not just yourself, but talking to others, like what's going on with you, what are you seeing, Um, other industries, you know, what are, what's kind of the word, it's easy to look back today, but at that time, um, there was a lot of uh, what I would call, you know, almost, uh, you know, cataclysmic thinking right now. <laughs> what's what's going to happen? What's the world going to look like? And so, you know, the first thing that was really helpful was being able to lean on others and get a sense of like, okay, like, you know, the sky's not falling, we're resetting, we balance. Um, you know, hard steps are, of course, you know, we had experienced you know, 15 straight years of growth and grown from a location, one single location with roughly about 30 employees to 12 locations and almost 350 employees. Wow. Um, and now you're looking at it, you're like going, okay, like, uh, here come here come the hard decisions. And, uh, you know, I always think that those are the hardest, especially in, you know, I think in any business is true, but I mean, in service, because your, your brand and your business is who your people are. You know, it's the bottom line. People come back to us and give us such high service ratings because our people you know, really care and they buy into core values that, you know, they quite frankly are, were part of the shaping of those core values. So 
And when you have to tell some of those people who are good people, like, you know, I'm sorry, um, you know, but I have to, we are, we've got to scale back again, you know, really the, the hardest steps, but uh, aren't the hardest thing to do. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, uh, you know, you retrench and uh, you look at, and you start looking at opportunity. And for us, fortunately, we had already begun making investments into our online uh, qualitative solutions, as well as. Um, you know, developing out toolkits that we are really excited now to looking forward to launching. And uh, so as such, you know, we were able to stabilize, absorb some of the, the damages there. As I mentioned to you earlier, you know, we did have to eliminate a few markets. Um, but the reality was, is that, uh, you know, in some cases, those were likely uh, things that are probably in the long run going to be better for L&E anyways. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I I just wrapped up a conversation with a number of CEOs. And one of the common themes was that the pandemic forced a lot of us, myself included, to kind of give ourselves a kick in the butt and do some of the things that probably needed to be done anyway. But due to being either comfortable or complacent or it was fine, you know, it wasn't losing us money, but maybe it wasn't the biggest money maker. So why rock the boat? Let's just let's just leave things as they were. And, you know, times like this, as hard as they are, I think a lot of us also find that they force us to do the hard things that we might not have had either the guts or the foresight or just felt the sense of urgency to do otherwise. Yeah, and I think, too, that. um you know, along that line, which I 100% agree with, we had 80% of our revenue was tied to on-site facility-based research. Um, that model completely turned upside down um, over the last, you know, during the pandemic. So, um, you know, how we, you know, adapted to that, um, you know, part of it is just an attest- a testament to the quality of the team that we built here and with the, uh, their ability to to rapidly shift and go. It also, to your point about a kick in the pants, you know, we had been focusing on other things that just said, well, the business is rolling well and where we're investing in and, and growing and, and just kept trying to, you know, I think put uh, what I consider to be small improvements on that area. And the pandemic hit and it forced us to make a hundred, you know, an 80 degree shift in the other way. And we're like, okay, we've got to reallocate all of our resources uh, into, you know, uh, into our more online strategies and yeah. the software development that we've built out to that. And so I think the good news looking forward is, is that, you know, we now have really positioned ourselves exceptionally well um, and seeing great success there. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, we are now very bullish on looking ahead as to what, when in person comes back, um, you know, that's just going to be, you know, more icy on the cake. Now more than ever, there's nothing like in-person research to deliver the voice and the views of the consumer. Face-to-Face delivers on empathy, captures nuanced body language, and creates personal connections that can be explored further. All focus group facilities are committed to safe and socially distanced protocols to keep our teams, our clients, and our participants safe. People are engaged and excited to share new emotions, new buying patterns, and new ways that they're seeing the world. Clients need this deep insight to make the best possible decisions at this critical time. We're here, we're focused, and we're ready. For in-person research, it's time to embrace the research space. Yeah, and you're absolutely right about good people. And my company, you know, works with L&E and 
um, we've always had a great experience. Your, your people are really what makes the difference. And, you know, for my team who has to manage large complex projects, having partners who can kind of do the kind of job that your people do um, really makes all the difference. So that is a huge testament to you and your staff for sure. Well, I thank you for that. I, uh, I've been fortunate to hire well and, and uh, have some good leaders in place that, you know, again, you know, uh, you, you mentioned before, and, and as companies grow, and but particularly, uh, this is a conversation I know you mentioned, obviously, Insights Association CEO Summit. I was on that last night for an hour and a half. And, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things that we talked about a lot was, um, you know, what does the future look like when the pandemic is over as far as people coming into the office, working from home? And a universal thing that I think that I've heard over again, which I 100% believe with is culture. And culture includes, you know, the value that your team gets from working at the company that you work in. You know, their belief that, you know, uh, who you are and what you're about and, and the mission that you're, you're looking to solve um, mm-hmm. and that we're doing it the right way. And, uh, and, I, and I think that's not only crucial today. I mean, you know, we honestly, it's funny, we started doing that work, you know, work from home uh, with most of our team back all the way to 2009. Mm-hmm. So, and even prior, I mean, we had a large piece of our team, but I mean, we pretty much went completely that direction with the exception mm-hmm. of on-site staff in 2009. So the good news is we were very prepared for it because we had made a lot of our mistakes as far as culture and communication uh, prior to that. But I think that that's going to be something that, um, you know, I know I've been saying this to a lot of people and I will continue saying it, that, you know, that is going to be even more important, I think, as people become, come back, you know, as the pandemic begins to abate, life quote unquote starts to return to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, we're all getting a little bit of a hall pass right now. People are very busy and they and they buy into the business, but focus on culture and, and communication with your team is going to, I think, be more critical as they begin to start to open up again in life and and, uh, and therefore going to have more more distractions, more things that you know that that, that are important to them, and therefore making yeah. you know, keeping that you know consistent. So looking ahead to, to 2021, we still have the majority of the year ahead of us, but I know also a lot of people in leadership circles are really already talking about 2022 and, and even looking ahead to 23. Um, so what does this year look like for you in, in the market research space, especially qualitative research? And how much are you expecting things to stabilize yet in 21? And how much are you already really looking ahead to 22? We already, from our experience, we're seeing very solid stabilization. In fact, I think pent up demand that um, was missing for roughly about a four or five month period is now beginning to unleash. You know, some of that is stability of markets. I think people wanted to see and make sure like, you know, again, the sky's not falling, right? I mean, we saw you know, a 10,000 plus point drop in the stock market, but it rebounded, has recovered. And so I think people feel a lot better now about, you know, the fact that, you know, the world's not going to end, so to speak. But mm-hmm. um, I think that as you look ahead, I think demand was really pent up and now it's starting to unleash itself. From what we hear for a lot from brands, which makes total sense to me, when you look at consumers, you know, I think there's a huge asterisk on that data you know, that people were concerned about measuring because no matter what you were getting from consumer behaviors, the question was, yeah, but has COVID really changed that? Is there something, you know, is that something that I can predict and model to future or is it just a snapshot in time that's going to change as time changes? And it's, it's so funny now. I mean, you know, 
a year ago, you know, you felt like I said, you know, like the world was on your shoulders, but now you look back, you're like, okay, we've been at this for almost a year now, right? Hmm. So, you know, hopefully, you know, we've all adjusted and, and we've made it look forward. And, and so I think brands are doing the same thing. They've made their adjustments. And uh, I certainly have not heard both, not only within the industry, but, you know, uh, you know, economic you know, journals and, and speakers that I've that I've uh, tuned into that suggest that you know there's nothing but to suggest you know good things forward. Now, good things forward in the context of all of qualitative, that's another question. Um, you know, I think there's huge question in the in-person world as far as what that's going to look like. Um, I've I've written on this subject many times that you know. There are things that you just cannot do or are certainly much less effective than they are in person cycles. At the end of the day, we are still human beings and we are influenced by other humans and human behavior. And so we graft to that. Uh, and so I think that you know we can never lose sight of that actual element. But you know, researchers have now had a year to really have to do things differently if they were doing it very in person before. And so I think there's going to be some shifts there that I don't think are necessarily coming back. Uh, in the in-person realm. So I think a huge question, and I know, you know, this is something that I've spoken to with other qualitative researchers that have similar opinions, which is, you know, in-person will come back, but to what level? Mm, uh, I don't think it's coming back the way that it was. And I don't think that's not only a 2021 issue. I think that's not even a 2022 issue. I think it's just, there's just been adjustments moving forward. So those things that have to be done that way, or, are, you know, again, you know, just a simple reminder, I can't lick the screen and taste it. I can't touch the screen and feel three-dimensional things as it relates to uh, other research, you know, that people often might have, whether they've done it in person, now they've had to do it differently. Uh, you know, I've heard from several researchers, they're like, I'm, I'm actually okay with it and I prefer it. So uh, I think that's going to be the, the million dollar question. I think that a lot of people in the quality research industry space are trying to figure out is, you know, when the dust settles, what, how do things, you know, realign? Uh, Grit does this great report through Green Book on the methodologies and people they're choosing. Um, and I think that we're going to have to look at that again and see, you know, how things shifted and do they shift back. And I think there's going to be some shift, but to what degree? I think. Uh, it's been great to chat with you. But before I let you go, one of the advantages of getting to peer into people's home offices on on Zoom meetings is I get to be curious about some of the stuff that I see. I'm, I'm going to ask you a couple of things that that caught my eye above your head. It looks like there's some kind of a plaque that has either like a, it looks from this distance like a NASCAR, a stock car of some kind. What is that? It's great you mentioned that because I say the same thing. One of the things I love about Zoom is I get to see people's home office. And so therefore you get to learn a little bit about them from what you yeah. see. And so, yeah, from my pictures back here, um, these are just, it's kind of like a little bit of a snapshot of my life and the fact that of the things that I really enjoy uh, in, in life and have done over the years between, uh, in fact, one of the things probably missing that I should have up there is how much I love the golf. So if you looked at the rest mm -hmm. of my house here, you would see golf pictures and places I've gone to go golfing. But mm -hmm. from whitewater rafting in the Gali to uh, doing Richard Petty driving experience uh, through NASCAR, which I've done a few different car things through that. Uh, and then here in the middle um, are some charities that I've supported, particularly the one that I'm most passionate about. Uh, is this group here called the Veterans Life Center, which uh, my father was in the military for 20 years and suffered through PTSD. He's, past years ago, but um, really uh, they're an organization that's that's out uh, trying to help veterans basically to reacclimate to life, to be productive citizens again. So they actually created a, a home base and allow these guys to come back and are providing them both 
you know, actual job training and life as well as life training. I appreciate you asking, David. It's 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 I I love the same thing about these Zoom meetings that I get to mm-hmm. actually see in people's worlds a little bit and ask questions about, you know, because they usually have things that they're passionate about. And these are some of the things that definitely are a, a part of interesting to me. You also have a, a pretty robust bookshelf behind you. I I'm gonna ask you to call out, is there um is there a particular book that's had a, a significant influence on on either your life or your career that you'd either recommend for a leader or even for someone more junior? Um, in business in general, as they're as they're looking to design their career and come up, uh, any, any one or two titles that you would that you'd shout out? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you three. Um, from a just a personal standpoint, and, and something that um, it's a very old book, but it's been around for a long time. I, I'm a very big fan of uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. Uh, very. Uh, very in tune to me. I think uh, you know, he really he, he hit on it without really hitting on it, which is empathy and, and trying to understand. Um, it's one of the reasons why I'm in qualitative research. I just love the mm-hmm. human behavior and understanding human psychology better. And people, it just, just fascinates me uh, mm-hmm. and what drives us, including my own self. Uh, mm-hmm. On a business standpoint, um, I mentioned traction before. Um, I found that to be uh, an invaluable tool for our business, uh, something that has been the greatest benefit that I've seen, we talked about communication before, is it really helped us get the entire company on the same page, uh, got us all talking in the same language, uh, all got us communicating and working on common, you know, like we call rocks and traction, but like big things that you know we're trying to achieve while we're also understanding measuring goals and keeping everybody on tune for that. Uh, it's a pretty simple read. It's not a very long one, but the, and the system takes a little time to implement. But anybody in business, I always encourage them to uh, to consider that as uh, and the cost the, the cost per like benefit is, is is immensely in your favor. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the one you mentioned that um, um, just on the junior level, but at any really level, um, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Simon Sinek. Start with why. Um, mm-hmm. You read what you talk about business, so you talk about you know whatever vision or passion. Um, yeah, he really gets at the heart, I think, of, of understanding, you know, what it is and why, you know, why is it you want to go in a particular direction and what is it about this that, you know, uh, draws you to it? Um, because, you know, if you're if you're passionate about what you're doing, uh, the rest of it comes a lot easier. So mm-hmm. it's no longer a job. It's it, it's uh, it, it's a career. It's 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 uh, it's it's a mission. It's a goal. Well, I want to commend you for what you were able to weather last year. Uh, You clearly had the leadership in place and the team in place to be able to make the hard decisions, but to also um, set yourself up for what's hopefully a very successful uh, future. And I know that leaders like you in our industry not only help other leaders like me, but also help those who are coming up and need good places to work, but also need people that they can turn to for advice. And I hope that many people of all levels who listen to this episode uh, will not only learn what does it take to to weather uh, a difficult period of time, but also how can you look at the big picture and really set yourself up for a career that's that's meaningful and that you enjoy. And then make sure that you do enough fun stuff to fill up your walls with uh, with pictures and flags of things that you enjoy, because that's really what makes life worth living. I will I will leave you with a, a expression that I just learned the other day from a friend, which was mm. "Life is a feast and fools are starving." So um, mm. that is a 
I thought was a wonderful uh, a wonderful summation on life in general, which is there's lots of great opportunities out there here, especially here in the U.S., and it's just up to us to go pursue them. That's great. Well, Brett, thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. Uh, it was great to talk with you. Okay. David, enjoy it. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. You can find all our episodes by searching Audible Insights on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and by visiting insightsassociation.org audible. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.